Section 10 of the Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Bennett. The Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. Appendix B, Part 1, Witness Statements. Appendix B. Statement of Witness Date, 26 April, 1996 Place, Farmington, New Mexico I, Charles E. Clouthier, hereby state that James McAndrew was identified as a captain, U.S. Air Force Reserve, on this date at my place of employment to hereby, voluntarily, and of my own free will, make the following statement. This was done without having been subjected to any coercion, unlawful influence, or unlawful inducement. I was on active duty in the U.S. Air Force and stationed at Walker Air Force Base, Roswell, New Mexico, from February 1955 until October 1956. During that time, I was a pharmacist assigned to the base hospital. Following my tour of duty with the Air Force, I returned to my hometown, Farmington, New Mexico, where I became an employee and eventually a co-owner of Farmington Drug. With the exception of the two years in the U.S. Air Force, I have been a resident of Farmington, New Mexico since 1934. It is my recollection that Dr. Frank B. Nordstrom was the first pediatrician to practice in the Farmington area, and he remained the only pediatrician in Farmington until approximately 1970. I base these recollections on extensive professional and personal contacts with physicians in the Farmington area and as a father of two children who were patients of Dr. Nordstrom's. Also based on nearly 40 years of contact with physicians in the Farmington area, I believe that Dr. Nordstrom is the only physician who served a tour of duty at Walker Air Force Base. During the 1960s, I became aware that Dr. Nordstrom had also served at the Walker Air Force Base Hospital. At various times in the ensuing years, Dr. Nordstrom and I reminisced about our service at Walker Air Force Base. During these conversations, Dr. Nordstrom never mentioned any activities during his tour of duty I consider unusual or that might explain reports of bodies or aliens. During the time I was stationed at Walker Air Force Base, I did not witness, nor did I hear rumors, of anything that involved flying saucers, aliens, or anything else of an extraterrestrial nature. I am not part of a conspiracy to withhold information from either the U.S. government or the American public. There is no classified information that I am withholding related to this inquiry, and I have not been threatened by U.S. government persons concerning not talking about this matter. Signed, Charles E. Clouthier. Statement of Witness. Date, 25 May, 95. I, Charles A. Coltman, Jr., Colonel, U.S. Air Force, M.C., retired, hereby state that James McAndrew was identified as a lieutenant, U.S. Air Force Reserve, on this date at my place of employment, and do hereby, voluntarily, and of my own free will, make the following statement. This was done without having been subjected to any coercion, unlawful influence, or unlawful inducement. I entered the U.S. Air Force in 1957 as a flight surgeon and was assigned to Walker Air Force Base, New Mexico, in 1958. 
Following a residency at Ohio State University from 1959 to 1963, I was assigned to Wilford Hall U.S. Air Force Medical Center, Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, where I eventually became the chairman of the Department of Medicine. I retired from the Air Force in 1977. I am presently a professor at the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio and chief executive officer of the Cancer Therapy and Research Foundation of South Texas. I remember a balloon crash that happened north of Roswell, New Mexico in May 1959. I received a phone call from the NCOIC of the flight surgeon's office who informed me of the crash. The NCOIC, Earl Wormwood, came to my quarters and we drove in an old blue Air Force cracker box ambulance to the crash site. I remember the gondola laying on its side and the deflated balloon on the ground. The crew members were sitting next to the gondola. I examined the pilots and determined they were not seriously injured. They told me they were practicing touch-and-goes and a gust of wind had dumped them on the ground and the gondola had struck one of the pilots in the head. Also present were Air Force technicians and trucks who tracked the balloon. The injured pilots were transported to the flight surgeon's office at the hospital at Walker Air Force Base. The injury sustained by the crew member was a head abrasion slash contusion and a hematoma. The hematoma caused the patient's head to swell, however, it was not serious enough for him to be admitted. I remember receiving a call from Colonel Dr. John Stapp. He was in charge of the balloon project and was quite famous. Dr. Stapp inquired about the injuries to the pilots and he wanted them returned to Holloman Air Force Base as quickly as possible. The hospital was an old World War II cantonment-type building with long corridors and a capacity of 50 beds. I do not recall a nurse assisting me in the treatment of the patient, although a nurse may have been on duty and observed the patient. I was the only doctor in the hospital that morning. There were no visiting doctors from other bases or facilities. I do not remember any altercations or arguments that day. During my time at Walker, I do not recall that any autopsies were performed at the hospital since we did not have a pathologist on staff. I do not recall any remains brought to the hospital in body bags or wreckage transported in the back of an ambulance. There may have been remains brought to the hospital in body bags after a KC-97 crash, but that was before I arrived at Walker. Dr. Ed Bradley was involved in the recovery of the remains. At no time was there ever any involvement of the Walker Hospital with UFOs or space aliens. I know this to be true because the hospital was very small and had a small staff. If any activity other than normal hospital functions had occurred, I would have known about it. I am not part of any conspiracy to withhold or provide misleading information to the United States government or the American public. There is no classified information that I am withholding related to this inquiry, and I have never been threatened by U.S. government persons concerning refraining from talking about this matter. Signed, Charles A. Coltman, Jr., M.D. Statement of Witness Date, 25 May, 95 I, Dan D. Fulgham, Colonel, U.S. Air Force, retired, hereby state that James McAndrew was identified as a lieutenant, U.S. Air Force Reserve, on this date at my place of employment and do hereby voluntarily and of my own free will make the following statement. This was done without having been subjected to any coercion, unlawful influence, or unlawful inducement. 
I entered the U.S. Air Force in 1952 as an aviation cadet. I flew F-84s on 100 combat missions during the Korean War. After a tour as a flight instructor, I was assigned to the Aeromedical Laboratory at Wright-Patterson. I participated in both the Air Force Man and Space Program and Project Mercury. I also participated in the X-15 and X-20 programs and worked as a bioastronautics officer with NASA on Gemini. During my Air Force career, I earned both a master's and doctorate degree from Purdue University. I flew a combat tour in Southeast Asia in F-4s as a member of the 555th Tactical Fighter Squadron and flew 133 combat missions. I retired from the Air Force in 1978 as the commander of the Human Resources Laboratory at Brooks Air Force Base, Texas. I am presently the Director of Biosciences for a research organization in San Antonio, Texas. In 1959, I volunteered for training to become a backup pilot for Captain Joe Kittinger in his high-altitude balloon projects. I flew two missions for training purposes with Captain Kittinger and Captain Bill Kaufman from Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico in May 1959. On the second flight, we were practicing touch-and-go landings north of Roswell, New Mexico when we crashed on one of the landings. The gondola flipped over, and my head was pinned to the ground by the lip of the gondola. We managed to lift the gondola off my head and looked it over for damage. Captain Kittinger was bleeding from a cut on his face, and I noticed that my head seemed to be protruding outward from underneath my helmet. Realizing I was injured, I sat down, and I feared I might go into shock. I was not in pain, but my entire head was throbbing and began to swell. I then remember boarding the chase helicopter that was following us and flying a short distance to Walker Air Force Base for medical treatment. I recall walking into the hospital and also stopping on the front step to smoke a cigarette. I remember security personnel escorting and questioning us to determine who we were. Security was very tight at strategic air command bases such as Walker. On occasion, surprise inspection teams from SAC headquarters arrived in helicopters just as we did. In addition, a story of three Air Force officers crashing in a balloon was somewhat far-fetched. The security people were convinced of our identities when they spoke with Colonel John P. Stapp, the Aeromedical Laboratory Commander. While I was at Walker, my head had swelled considerably and both eyes were turning black. Later, the skin on my face turned yellow. I remember being seen by one doctor, and I do not believe any other doctors participated in my treatment. I do not recall any nurses attending to me. I also do not recall that a black NCO was present, nor do I recall any civilian men in the hospital. I do not recall that Captain Kittinger was involved in an altercation of any kind while we were there. After I was treated and released, we all flew back to Holloman on the helicopter. At Holloman, I was admitted to the hospital and had blood aspirated from under my scalp. I remember my forehead drooping down. I had to use my fingers to open my eyelids, and I had to sleep sitting up. Several days later, I returned to Wright-Patterson with Captain Kittinger and Captain Kaufman. My wife met the airplane, and when she saw me, she burst into tears due to the swelling of my head, the two black eyes, and the yellow color of my skin. When I returned to my office at Wright-Patterson, my secretary also began to cry when she saw me. After some weeks, my head returned to normal size and I was returned to flying status. During my Air Force career, I was involved in many different scientific research projects, including the space program. 
I can state with certainty that none of them, including the incident described here, had anything to do with UFOs or space aliens. I am not part of any conspiracy to withhold or provide misleading information to the United States government or the American public. There is no classified information that I am withholding related to this inquiry, and I have never been threatened by U.S. government persons concerning refraining from talking about this matter. Signed, Dan D. Fulgham, Colonel, U.S. Air Force, retired. Statement of Witness Date, 28 May, 95 I, Bernard D. Gildenberg, GS-14, retired, hereby state that James McAndrew was identified as a lieutenant U.S. Air Force Reserve on this date at my home and do hereby voluntarily and of my own free will make the following statement. This was done without having been subjected to any coercion, unlawful influence, or unlawful inducement. I became involved in high-altitude balloon development while an undergraduate student at New York University, NYU. Following graduation, I was hired by the Air Force at Holloman Air Force Base and worked continuously as both a meteorologist and aerospace engineer at the Balloon Branch from 1951 until my retirement in 1981. My job responsibilities were to forecast the weather and fly by remote control high-altitude balloons for many different scientific projects. During this time, I became internationally recognized as an authority on high-altitude balloon trajectory forecasting. I have published numerous technical reports and articles. The first project in which I was involved, while still an undergraduate student at NYU, was the acoustical detection of nuclear explosions. The name of the project, Mogul, was classified and I didn't know this name until several years ago. Based on my experience with this project, I am certain Project Mogul was responsible for some portions of what has become to be known as the Roswell Incident. Following Project Mogul, I was involved in perfecting high-altitude balloon technology and made many test flights with large polyethylene balloons from Holloman Air Force Base. I worked extensively on atmospheric sampling projects and biological flights in which the balloons lifted small animals to altitudes for cosmic ray experiments. I also worked on the Moby Dick project that collected meteorological data and the classified Gopher 119L reconnaissance project. I was relied upon to forecast the weather, conduct climatological studies, predict balloon trajectories, and to hit with precision ground targets both on and off the White Sands Missile Range. Balloon trajectories in New Mexico below the tropopause are predominantly towards the east-northeast when launched from Holloman Air Force Base, with the exception of July and August when balloons remained over the Holloman area. At high altitude, above the tropopause, trajectories are generally westerly during the summer and easterly during the spring, fall, and winter. As a result of these winds, the Holloman Balloon Branch recovered many, probably hundreds, of balloons and scientific payloads from the Roswell, New Mexico area over the years. During the time of year when trajectories were to the east, I attempted to drop the equipment near accessible, non-mountainous areas and paved roads. The main target area was the first large north-south road on the other side of the Sacramento Mountains from Holloman Air Force Base, Highway 285. This road goes north and south through Roswell. The standard procedure was to pre-position military recovery crews near the projected point of payload impact. 
The crews consisted primarily of Air Force members in uniform, and they operated military vehicles. I often directed these crews to stand by along the shoulder of Highway 285, both north and south of Roswell, until the balloon was in position. The recovery crews received detailed instructions from the tracking aircraft that led them to the exact location of the payload. The recovery vehicle included, depending on the mission, a crane, weapons carriers, communications van, and occasionally tanker trucks to refuel the aircraft that would sometimes land on nearby roads. During the time of year when balloon trajectories were to the west, I attempted to drop the payloads in the Rio Grande Valley. I also aimed for another valley, the flat area north of Truth or Consequences that includes the plains of San Augustine. In addition, many remote balloon launch sites were located throughout the Rio Grande Valley, west of the White Sands Proving Grounds. Launch crews were also mostly military and used much of the same equipment as the recovery crews. I had extensive involvement with Project 7218 that later became Project 7222. This project studied the freefall characteristics of anthropomorphic dummies dropped from balloons from altitudes up to 100,000 feet. The missions usually consisted of two dummies attached to a suspension rack that I directed to be released at altitude. Depending on the wind condition and time of year, the dummies, on many occasions, landed in the Roswell area. I recall some difficulties in the release mechanisms of the dummies that resulted in some of them free-falling to the ground while they were still attached to the rack. Someone without a good vantage point or not associated with the project might mistake these dummies for aliens due to their odd flesh tones and abstract human features. I also recall an accident involving a manned balloon flight. I remember this event clearly because I am also a balloon pilot and had an accident approximately two years before. The accident occurred on a flight that Captain Joe Kittinger was checking out two backup pilots for his high-altitude missions. The balloon was launched around midnight from behind the balloon branch at Holloman Air Force Base. I remember that some of the steel ballast used by the balloon caused a fireworks display when it contacted some nearby power lines during the launch. I was operating the control center for this flight, and I received notification from the communications vehicle that was following the balloon that there had been an accident north of Roswell. I later learned that the gondola had rolled over during a practice touch-and-go landing, and one of the pilots had been struck in the head and injured. I recall speaking to Captain Kittinger about the accident and I saw the injured pilot. Although his injury was not serious, his head had considerable swelling and he looked very odd. I also worked with Captain Kittinger on Project Stargazer. I also had met several times the civilian scientific advisor, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Dr. Hynek was thoroughly familiar with the balloon operations at Holloman and visited the balloon branch numerous times. This project experienced some difficulties and only one man flight was conducted. Another project I was involved with was the Air Force investigations of UFOs, Project Blue Book. Since I was a meteorologist and amateur astronomer, I evaluated, starting in 1951, local sightings of UFOs. New Mexico had a lot of sightings because of the good visibility and the many experimental projects of the White Sands Proving Grounds. During my time on Project Blue Book, there wasn't any sightings that we could not explain. Nevertheless, popular literature still refers to some of these sightings as unexplained. 
Another project with which I was involved was the NASA Voyager and Viking projects. These space vehicles were tested by launching them from our balloons at extremely high altitude to simulate the atmosphere of Venus and Mars. To utilize the instrumentation on the White Sands Missile Range, I elected to launch the balloons and attach space vehicles from the Roswell Industrial Air Center, formerly the Roswell Army Airfield. The Holloman Balloon Branch made approximately eight launches of these two vehicles from Roswell. In appearance, the Viking and Voyager probes could be mistaken for a flying saucer. They were both unclassified, highly publicized projects, and I do not recall getting any UFO reports for these flights. I believe one of these probes is on display at White Sands Missile Range, and it's known as the Flying Saucer. I am not part of any conspiracy to withhold or provide misleading information to the United States government or the American public. There is no classified information that I am withholding related to this inquiry, and I have never been threatened by U.S. government persons concerning refraining from talking about this matter. Signed, Bernard D. Gildenberg, GS-14, Retired. Statement of Witness. Date, 28 May, 95. I, Ole Jorgensen, Master Sergeant, U.S. Air Force, Retired, hereby state that James McAndrew was identified as a lieutenant, U.S. Air Force Reserve, on this date at my home and do hereby, voluntarily, and of my own free will, make the following statement. This was done without having been subjected to any coercion, unlawful influence, or unlawful inducement. I enlisted in the U.S. Air Force in 1957 and became a ground communications and electronic repairman. I remained in this career field throughout my career. I completed three tours at the Balloon Branch at Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico. I retired from the Air Force in 1977 as the NCOIC of the Communication and Instrumentation Section of the Balloon Branch at Holloman Air Force Base. I recall an overnight balloon training mission that was conducted in May 1959. Captain Joe Kittinger was training backup pilots for one of his upcoming projects. I was an airman assigned to coordinate communications and to assist in the recovery of the balloon upon completion of the mission. I followed the balloon in an old Korean War vintage cracker box ambulance that had been converted into a communications van. Another airman and I followed the balloon throughout the night on an easterly trajectory over the Sacramento Mountains to an area north of Roswell. Also following the balloon were recovery technicians and a weapons carrier. We stayed in contact with the balloon crew by radio and also observed flares the crew would light at various intervals so we could visually track them. Just after sunrise, I recall the balloon landing north of Roswell and Captain Kittinger offered me some coffee and told me he was going to make one more touch-and-go landing to complete the mission. I remember that I took some photographs of the balloon and waited for the last landing. Several minutes later, I remember hearing a bang this was the squib that fired to release the gondola from the balloon. We immediately went to where the gondola landed and saw the gondola laying on its side and saw two of the pilots standing and one lying down. Lying on the ground was a shattered helmet that was worn by one of the pilots. Captain Kittinger told me they were attempting to land to avoid some power lines and a row of trees. Soon after I arrived at the crash site, a helicopter that was also following the flight landed and transported the three air crew members to Walker Air Force Base for medical attention. 
I recall I assisted the recovery technicians load the balloon and the gondola on the weapons carrier and drove 15 to 20 minutes to the hospital at Walker Air Force Base. When I arrived at Walker, we parked the converted ambulance near the hospital and either the other airmen with me or the recovery technicians called the balloon control center to notify them of the accident. I recall waiting near the hospital for a short period of time and then returning to Holloman Air Force Base. During the time I was waiting at the hospital, I did not observe any arguments or altercations. I did not observe Captain Kittinger speaking disrespectfully to anyone. I also do not recall any male civilians or any vehicles that belonged to a mortuary. I participated in many, probably more than a hundred, balloon recoveries. I often recovered payloads and balloons from the area surrounding Roswell, New Mexico. It was routine to be directed by the Balloon Control Center to an area near Roswell to wait to recover a balloon. We would wait along the side of the road, at small airports or at the armory in Roswell. It would not be uncommon for our recovery vehicles to be seen waiting to recover balloons throughout New Mexico, Arizona, and West Texas. When we recovered the balloons and payloads sometimes, civilians would be in the area and make inquiries. We would tell them what we were doing and provide them with a telephone number at Holloman Air Force Base if they wanted to report any damages. We were required to clean up the area and remove all debris before we left. In addition to the recoveries, I recall making balloon launches from sites up and down the Rio Grande Valley. I remember that some of these launches were made from an area west of Socorro, New Mexico. Another project I participated in was the testing of the Viking space probe in 1972. These four launches were all made from the Roswell Industrial Air Center, the former Roswell Army Airfield. Approximately 20 Air Force personnel were on temporary duty to Roswell throughout the summer of 1972 to support this project. NASA personnel prepared the spacecraft for launch from the old hangars of the former Air Force Base. This project was not classified and was covered by the news media. I am not part of any conspiracy to withhold or provide misleading information to the United States government or the American public. There is no classified information that I am withholding related to this inquiry, and I have never been threatened by U.S. government persons concerning refraining from talking about this matter. Signed, Ole Jorgensen, Master Sergeant, U.S. Air Force, Retired. End of Section 10 Recording by Aaron Bennett